um, our new um, preaching series, um, Partners in Mission. Um, one of the things that we'll discover over these um, number of weeks is that mission is not about what Kafo and I did in getting on a plane and going to another country, um, but mission is about something that we are all called to be a part of um, as God's church. So Judith talked about the great commission that Jesus gave to all of us, um, to his disciples, but that continues to be his commission to us as his church today, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, And she talked about us being a tight-knit team who work together to fulfill our mission. And she talked about us being living stones that God is fitting together, building together to become a building for him in the earth. And, And Judith said that if we want to follow Jesus, then ultimately we don't really have any choice as to whether we're part of this mission. That following Jesus automatically, becoming a Christian automatically makes us a part of his mission. And that then the challenge for us is that we all have a responsibility to find a part of God's family, the church, where we can work that out in practice. Because automatically, by becoming a Christian, you were saying yes to the mission. It's like, whether you realize that or not, you've already said yes to the mission by following Jesus. And now the challenge is finding a part of God's body, the church, where you can actually work that commission out in practice. And these are some of the things that we're going to be unpacking over the coming weeks. Uh, But today, we're going to go right back to the beginning Because sometimes we think of mission as something that God created for the church. Like, oh, I've got a church. What am I going to do with them now? I've got this church. I've created this church. Oh, my goodness. I better come up with something to keep them busy um, while they wait for me. I know I'll come up with mission. Sometimes we kind of almost think like that, that God invented mission to give us something to do as the church. But actually... Mission already existed way before the church because mission begins in God himself. So let's turn to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. It's very nice to be able to hold my microphone in whichever hand I choose. In Ghana, I had to constantly remember, some of the Ghanaians amongst us will know this, apparently it's very rude to gesture with your left hand in Ghana. So I was constantly paranoid the whole time I was there because I had to remember to hold the microphone in my left hand and only point with my right hand in case I caused great offense. So for all of you Ghanaians who have never told me that and have been very understanding, thank you so much. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, the world was empty and dark, and God spoke into the emptiness and the darkness. He brought light out of darkness, and he brought life out of Of emptiness. He made mountains and rivers and forests and meadows. He made fish 
and birds and reptiles and mammals. And then to crown it all, he made us as human beings. And so in verses 26 to 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God made us in his image to be his children. I mean, that's what you call it when you make other people in your image, isn't it? Having children. God created us as his children and he made us for partnership with him. That we might be part of extending his perfect order, this, this beautiful, harmonious existence that that existed in the beginning in that garden that God created, that we might take that perfect order when everything is in perfect relationship with God. We call it um, his kingdom. When he rules and he reigns and everything is as it should be and everything is in right relationship with him. That's the world as it's supposed to be. And when everything is in right relationship with God, there's no crime and there's no injustice and there's no suffering and there's no pain. There's no death. Everything is as it should be. It's beautiful and it's glorious and it's God's intention for our world. His beautiful, glorious kingdom filled with righteousness, peace and joy. He made us to be part of extending that kingdom, that rule and that reign, that perfect order to the ends of the earth. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. Bring it under my rule and my reign. Everything existing in that beautiful relationship that God intended it for. His kingdom filling the whole earth. But we rejected relationship with God. Remember, to bring this kingdom, everything has to be in right relationship with him. So everything goes wrong when we reject relationship with him. At the root of everything that is broken and corrupted and falling apart in our world. At the root of that. I'm not talking about individuals being punished for individual things. But at the root of it all is our rejection of relationship with God. Us as humanity saying, we don't need to live your way. We don't need to live in relationship with you. We'll go our own way. We'll do our own thing. And all of us, the world over individually, have made that choice. And we've ended up together as humanity rejecting God. And living outside of relationship with him. And our world became broken as a result. God had intended that we would enjoy fellowship with him. That we would enjoy relationship with him. In Genesis 3 and verse 8. Just after we had made the choice to go our own way and do our own thing. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God 
among the trees of the garden. God was desiring to be in their midst, to to walk amongst them, and yet because of their guilt and their shame, knowing what they'd just done, they hid from him. That was never supposed to be how it was. Us hiding away from God. We were supposed to enjoy fellowship, relationship with him. But as a result of our rejection, of our turning our backs on God, our fellowship with him was broken. And so in verses 23 and 24 of Genesis 3, it says this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What a terrible, terrible moment. Banished from the garden, banished banished from that experience that we were supposed to take and fill the earth with, and now shut out from that experience because of our rejection of God. How terrible if things had ended there. But things did not end there. But things did not end there. Because God did not turn his back on humanity. And the whole of the Bible becomes the story of how God was not prepared to give up on us. How God was not prepared to let broken relationship and an end to fellowship between God and man be the end of the story. But how God has throughout thousands and thousands of years of human history been reaching out and reaching out and reaching out to us in love. We see it in the story of Noah. Noah selected because of all the people in the earth and all the wickedness in the earth, God found just one righteous man and his family. And he protected him from the flood and he, he wiped out everything on the face of the earth and he started again. And as Noah came out of the ark at the end of that terrible um, episode, um, there was a rainbow in the sky. And God said, this rainbow is a sign of my promise that never again will I deal with humanity's wickedness and all the sin and evil in our world. Never again will I deal with it just by wiping everything out and starting again. And the hint there is that I will make another way. It's the beginning of a whole series of what we call covenants, promises that God gave, pointing the way, saying, I'm going to make a way for you to be restored in relationship with God. And this begins to gather pace when God calls a man called Abraham. And he says to him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and through you and your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That everyone will be blessed. Everyone will begin to know life as it's supposed to be through what I'm about to do through you and your descendants. And that promise gets repeated to Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. And God promises, I'm going to make a way for everyone to be blessed. If you know the Old Testament history, of course, lots happens in between. This is just like a, a really quick overview. But along a, a, another point comes Moses. And God delivers his people who have ended up in slavery. And he's still saying to them, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to everyone. And he gives them a law. He gives them a law to live by so that they can enjoy his presence in their midst. And actually what this law goes to show is that 
our sin is something that we just end up back in again and again and again, that we can't break free from this sin on our own. So even though God is showing his heart to be in fellowship with people, there's something fundamentally wrong because we're not able to live in fellowship with him because something's still broken on the inside of us. And God warns and warns his people again and again and again that if they don't turn back to him, if they don't live right with him, they're just going to end up in, in exile. They're going to end up in captivity, and that's eventually what happens. And God's people end up being taken captive, and yet there are these prophets that God sends to his people again and again and again. And these prophets keep prophesying about a coming day when God will turn everything around. When he will send a Messiah, when he will send a promised deliverer who will rescue his people from from their captivity and bring them back into their destiny in relationship with God. And even amongst all these prophetic words that are coming, there are hints, there are promises. Actually, it's not just going to be for you as the people of Israel, but just like that promise to Abraham and his descendants, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That God's promise will expand and include everyone, and everyone will have an opportunity to come and be a part of this amazing kingdom that God is establishing in the earth. And all these promises, all these prophecies, thousands and thousands of years of Old Testament history then find their climax and fulfillment as Jesus comes bursting into our world. Not as we expected, but born as a baby. Humble, vulnerable, born, laid in a manger, and he grows up, and he's obedient And as he begins his ministry, he demonstrates with incredible power and yet such humility that God's kingdom is at last breaking into our world. And then he gives his life. He gives his life on a cross. He dies the most painful of executed deaths as he gives his life for our rejection of God. He takes all our sin, all our shame, all our rejection of God upon himself as he dies on that cross in our place. And three days later, he rises from the dead. And he beats all the power of wickedness and the enemy that could keep us captive, that could hold us back. He says, you are free now to come back into relationship with God and to be part of this amazing kingdom. And so in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Romans 8, verses 1 to 4. We read this. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son. And 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 to 16. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This is how God made his love known among us. He sent his son. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son. God is the God who sends himself. God is the God who is sent. Jesus in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in his nature, he is sent. Now, this word sent in English comes from exactly the same root as the word, or has exactly the same meaning as the Latin word missio, from which we get mission. When we talk about the mission of God, we're talking about the sending of God. That God in his very nature, from the very beginning, is the God who sends himself to us. And theologians call this concept, they call it missio Dei, which is a very posh Latin way of saying the mission of God. But the point that they're trying to help us to understand is that mission is not something that we came up with to spread our club and establish new branches in other parts of our country or around the world as if we were trying to export some kind of philosophy or way of life. But actually, what Missio Dei helps us to understand is that mission is not about us exporting our institution or our way of life. It's actually something that began in God himself. That God was reaching out to people in love from the very, very beginning. From our first rejection of him, he has constantly, incessantly been pouring himself out in love. Again and again and again, 
for all the different ways that we see throughout the Old Testament, even as he lovingly warns and rebukes his people, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to relationship with me. And the promises and the prophecies, they grow and they build and they find their ultimate expression in Jesus, who is God's ultimate sending of himself in the person of his son. Our God is the God who sends himself. And that is what mission means. Our God is the God of mission. Mission is in his nature. And therefore, if you are made in his image, then mission is who you are too. If you are made in the image of God then mission is not an activity for you to get busy with. Mission is part of what it means to be a child of God because it lies at the core of his being. It does not originate in us as something that we do for God. It begins in God and he invites us into it. A theologian called Christopher Wright describes it like this. It's going to come on the screen, and it's a really powerful quote, so try and get your head around it. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Okay, get your head around that. It is not so much that God has a mission for his church but that God has a church for his mission. God has a purpose. God has a mission. He's pouring himself out in love to all the people of the earth. And so he didn't say, what can I do to keep my church busy? He said, what can I come up with to help me in my mission? I know I'll have a church. It makes a big difference, actually, doesn't it, when we see it the other way around. In John 20, 21 and 22, after his death and his resurrection, just as he had prayed previously when he was in the garden before he was crucified, so he declared again boldly after his resurrection. John 20 and 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as I am sent, I'm sending you. Just as I am the ultimate expression of God sending himself into the world, now I'm passing on the baton and I'm sending you into the world. God is reconciling the whole world to himself in Jesus Christ. That's his mission. He's bringing everything back into right relationship with himself. It was broken relationship with God that caused everything to go wrong in the world. And now he is calling everything back into right relationship. And so in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. It says this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's what Jesus' mission and ministry is all about, reconciling everything back to God, bringing everything back into right relationship with God so his kingdom can be established to the ends of the earth. But he has invited us to be part of his mission. He's created us as his people, as his church, so that we can be the agent of that mission that he is all about. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Didn't start with us. It's all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are made in the image of God. And when we make the decision to follow Jesus, when we make the decision to turn away from our sin, to follow him, we're born again. We become a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We are in his image. We're adopted as his sons and daughters. We are made right with him in relationship with him. And therefore, we become part of his amazing mission. We become, at the core of our being, missional. God is missional, and therefore we are missional. Now, we've done quite a bit of theology this morning because we wanted to lay a theological foundation. But right now, I want to make it really practical. I want you to think about the people in your life who don't know Jesus. You might find it easier to close your eyes. You don't have to, but I want you to bring to mind the people in your life who don't know Jesus. Imagine yourself with them. Maybe it's this afternoon with family members. Maybe it's tomorrow morning at work or your place of study. It could be in any situation or circumstance of life, a community group that you're part of. But bring to mind those people that you know who don't know Jesus. Now think about the fact Regardless of what you think or feel, God is constantly and consistently and incessantly pouring himself out in love for them. Reaching out to them with every fiber of his being. He is the God who sends himself to them. He is reaching out to them. He loves them and he longs for them to know him. Because he is the God of mission. He is the God who constantly pours himself out in love. 
what if we could become more aware of that truth in our daily lives? What if we could become more aware that as we interact with our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, whenever it is, what if we were to live with an increased awareness that God all the time is pouring himself out in love towards those people? What if we ask the Holy Spirit to make us more aware of God's heart for mission? What if we were to become more aware of his invitation to us to partner with him in that mission? To become more aware that he is making his appeal through us. That he wants to make his appeal to the people you know through you. Mission is not an optional extra for us as Christians. It is who God is. It is who Jesus is. And therefore, mission is who we are. Our God is constantly pouring himself out in love through us. Not just to us, but through us. He's constantly sending us to our friends our neighbors, our colleagues, our family members. He's sending himself through us. We're going to close just by singing an old song together. Um, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, flowed incessant from above. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, never stopped flowing from heaven to the earth. God is constantly pouring himself out in love to the people that you know. He never stops pouring himself out in love to the people that you know. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. As we sing this song, I invite you just to stand and to ask God to make you more aware of the truth that we've talked about this morning, to become more aware of him constantly sending himself to the people around you, and to become more aware that he wants to send himself through you and me as he now sends us to partner with him in his mission.